Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The Auto Show is back here in Detroit with all the hubbub that accompanies it. We're going to talk with the president of the Detroit Auto Dealers Association about the return of Auto Show after several years away. What's different? What's new? Then we're going to talk with an Auto Show veteran about how the show fits into the narratives of auto innovation and sales these days. It's all next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by Michigan School of Psychology in Farmington Hills, educating psychologists today who will transform our world tomorrow. Learn more at msp.edu. Now we're choosing to build a better America. An America that's confronting the climate crisis, with America's workers leading the way, and we're rebuilding an economy, a clean energy economy, and we're doing it from the bottom up and the middle out. I'm so tired of trickle down, I can't stand it. That, of course, was President Joe Biden speaking at the Detroit Auto Show's Media Day yesterday. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Have you noticed that the auto show is back? All the people who are here in downtown Detroit, milling around people from all over the world, in fact, who visit during uh, the opening week of uh, Auto Show before it opens to the public. Have you thought about maybe going to the Auto Show when it does open to the public uh, Saturday morning? We want to talk today about the Auto Show, its history, and its return this year. Uh, Detroit's first Auto Show, of course, occurred in 1899 when two electric and two steam-powered cars were exhibited by the city's only auto dealer at the time. Soon enough, of course, Detroit Auto Show became an annual tradition known half a century later as the biggest auto show of all, as it was dubbed in 1961. It attracted 1.4 million people to the recently completed Cobo Hall, which we now call Huntington Place. Uh, in this way, you know, the auto show represents not only our annual homage to the car, but also an homage to ourselves as the city that put the country and really the world on wheels. So now the auto show is back after taking a break during the pandemic. But this year's festivities are going to look really different from what you're used to. For the first time in the show's history, there are both indoor and outdoor events, which expands the show's footprint. Of course, we're doing this in September and not the dead cold of January, which makes things feel different uh, for for Auto Show. But uh, how will this all change the effect that the show has on how we remember it? And what can we expect from this year's event? That is where we want to begin the conversation today and to answer some of those questions and more. I am joined by Thad Zott, who is the president of the Detroit Auto Dealers Association and co-chair of the Detroit Auto Show. Uh, Thad, thanks for joining us here on Detroit Today. My pleasure. Good morning, and thanks for having me. Yeah. So before we talk about this year's show, I want to tell you two stories 
about sure. auto show. I, of course, grew up here in Detroit in the 1970s and 80s and have very vivid auto show memories. One is in 1986 when my mother actually went to the show, and my memory is that she bought a car. She bought an Astro van, a Chevy Astro van that she saw while she was at the show. She was blown away by it. She's like, I got to have that. And my memory is that she was able to to, to buy the car there. Maybe she just kind of worked out the deal there and then went to a dealer. But that was uh, something that, that stood out to me. But the other thing I can remember really vividly, I was in the marching band in high school. And every year, one of the biggest performances we ever had was going to the auto show and marching the red carpet around uh, around Cobo Hall. So those are two things that you wouldn't see a whole lot of today but of course the auto show is still with us well i love the stories and uh <laughs> that's a special year to me 1986 because that, that's when i got my first uh car at 16 years old a, a jeep cj7 so uh that was a great year <laughs> and i love that story about your your mom buying a car it's funny we had that conversation i was speaking with rod alberts the executive director of the show uh this week just about what can we do next year to improve and make some changes and Maybe we'll get a band in here, too. I kind of like that idea. But um, <laughs> but we started talking about how can people maybe get a little closer to purchasing if they want. Can we set up uh, electronically somehow to feed this information to the dealers? And at the time we had the conversation, we were just a little too close to the show, but we were really strongly having that conversation about uh, 23 show. Yeah, so so you might bring back the idea of buying a car at the, at the auto show. Yeah, I mean, we, I think with, you know, the way the world works and online uh, opportunities, we can somehow pull it off. Now, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of details that goes into that. You know, can we actually, can we actually do the paperwork and all that? Probably mm-hmm. not. But I think we can land on a car, you know, find it in someone's inventory here around Metro Detroit and line them up with the correct dealer and, and put them in contact to, to wrap it up. But it's something that we were looking at, and I'm, I'm excited to see where the conversation goes. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's talk about this year's show. As I said, we haven't had an auto show in a couple of years because of the pandemic. But even before the pandemic, we were talking about how the show was going to be different. We were planning for something other than what we had been doing for for decades here in Detroit. So so tell me what uh, to expect uh, when I show up at the show. I'm actually going to go to the charity preview tomorrow night. That's usually my first look at it. Um, what What's going to be different? What am I going to notice that uh, that's going to surprise me at this year's show? Well, I think, um, first of all, we've been gone over three and a half years, if you can believe that. January of 19 was the last show in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been a long time. But changes are really going on prior to that, and we knew that. We started to analyze what we need to do differently back then. And certainly the pandemic really, really shook things up. So we had to basically reimagine the entire show. Uh, I think you know, there's no secret that there's a lot of you know, car shows around the world that are struggling or even gone, some of the biggest in the world. And we knew that we had to change things and embrace what's going on. You know, manu- manufacturers are going to market differently. Uh, people are buying goods and services online differently. And we recognize all that. So to answer your specific question, you know, there's three major things I think that that we can really highlight of of what the uh, what the show is is really why is it so different this year? Number one, you talked about right the move from January to September mm-hmm. uh, is massive. I mean, we <laughs> we've had reveals out at Hart Plaza already with Ford Mustang, <laughs> and we walked from you know Huntington Place 
down to Hart Plaza. It was 80 degrees. It was sunny. There were 400 Mustangs parked in front of Hart Plaza that went on a, uh, a tour across the country to get here when they revealed the Mustang. They were all parked out in front on, on Jefferson. And, and uh, the vibe and the electricity in the city was just, it was awesome. Wow. And to make that, and make that walk down to Hart Plaza with the riverfront, the boats going by, and, you know, the skyline of Detroit, I, you know, no one ever got to really enjoy that in January. So the first thing you're going to feel is, like, you can actually park, you know, half a mile away and enjoy <laughs> the walk to uh, Huntington Place and maybe even stop at a few places, uh, you know, in Hart Plaza on the way. So that's a huge change. We talked a lot about the months, which month is the right month. Uh, you know, a lot of people had, had input in that, and I think we made the right decision on September. Yeah. So, that, you know, that's, that's number one. Uh, you know, number two, I think, is these activations and engagements. And people always are asking me, well, what, what do you mean by, you know, activations and engagements? And, and, you know, do we get go behind the wheel and sit behind and look at the new technology? Well, certainly. But the bigger point is that we have five active tracks inside Huntington Place. And certainly the, the uh, uh, change of the format of indoor and outdoor, which is really point number three, has allowed us to do that. So, you know, when you walk into Huntington Place, it's not going to be your same routine that you've had, you know, for over the last 30 years mm-hmm. of what you do. It's different. I mean, there's tracks to, uh, to get engaged in and then try out this new technology of climbing these, these Bronco Mountains and these, these camp Jeeps and, and Rams obstacle course and take the Ford Lightning from zero to 60 right inside Huntington Place. <laughs> uh, so you're going to get behind the wheel. And that, that's, the big, that's the big change, uh, number two. And like I said, the indoor-outdoor is number three. Yeah. So, so for years I was told that we were having the auto show in January because that coincided with uh, scheduling that the industry had for – uh, for uh, type res- reveals, you know, model reveals and and technology reveals and and things like that, and that we couldn't move it to the warmer months because there were other shows that that were scheduled in in those uh, in those slots. But talk about why September works from an industry standpoint and from the standpoint of keeping this show, you know, uh, uh, on top, right? In terms of uh, in terms of interest from uh, people all all over the world. Why why are we now able to do this? Well, listen. I think the the important part here is like, you know, we help arrange the stage, right? And 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 Huntington Place is the stage, but the stars of this whole thing are the manufacturers and their cars. And they had a tremendous amount of input on on what months we we moved to. We were looking really hard at June. And really, the manufacturers kind of tipped the scale over to, to, to put it in September because mm-hmm. if you think about how you know the, the model year works in in our world, I'm actually a car dealer, so that's what I do day to day. I'm really a car salesman, but this is my side job. Um, you know, we're clearing everything out from the previous model year, and we're launching the new you know 2023 20, models right now. And so September is that month we clear out the old and bring in the new. So for the manufacturers, they were really excited about hey, let's Let's look at September. Um, the days of, you know, we're, we're, we're bringing everything to market in January are gone. And, and September is really the perfect month because we're introducing all the new models. Mm-hmm. And they want to have them at the show. So, you know, we listened to them closely. And they, uh, their other input was that they really, really wanted to get people behind the wheel. And so, you know, I, I would mention some, some track activations inside Huntington Place, but like General Motors and Volkswagen, 
maybe a, maybe one more manufacturer. We, we we're still buttoning some things up. Uh, are going to actually be doing uh, test drives and some of the new really the new technology with electrification uh, right out the backside of Huntington Place on the riverfront there. You'll be able to take the cars out on the Jefferson. Mm. Uh, and, and the cool part about that whole thing is you're actually going to be driving, for the most part, on the 2023 Grand Prix uh, course, which is moving from, from Belle Isle, uh, where it has been, to actually downtown streets next year. So a lot of very, very energetic, exciting things happening. Like I said, it's it's a whole new vibe. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with uh, Thad Zott. He's a Detroit Auto Show co-chair and president of the Detroit Auto Dealers Association. We're talking about the return of the North American International Auto Show. Detroit Auto Show uh, returns next week to the public here in Detroit. Of course, uh, this week is uh, all the industry days and the media day was uh, yesterday. President Joe Biden came to town to, to talk about uh, his enthusiasm for the auto industry. Uh, we want to talk to you during this conversation as well, hear from you about uh, how excited you are about the return of the auto show. First time since 2019 that we're actually having it. Uh, do you have memories like I do of going to the auto show uh, as a kid? Uh, what do you remember was different then than is now? And what do you think of all the changes that they're unveiling this year? It's not only in a different month, but the show itself is going to be really different than what you're used to. Are you looking forward to that? Are you planning to go take your family? Uh, are you going to the charity preview, which is uh, going to be held again tomorrow night uh, at Huntington Place? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into the conversation that way. Let's start today with uh, Frank in Livonia. Frank, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Welcome back. Um, I remember when I was uh, 1963, I was about eight years old, and uh, we went to the uh, auto show with my dad, who worked for Chrysler all of his life. And uh, I remember this Mercury Monterey that had a uh, window was slanted the opposite direction, you know, so, uh, and it opened up in the back, and, and we were just like, oh, that's so cool. My dad, like, hustled us away. Like, and, and, you know, and I started to get the sense of the tribalism of, of the, you know, back in those days huh. of, you know, if you're Ford or Chrysler, I bought a 74 Monte Carlo. This was a sweet car. And, <laughs> you know, I brought it home to dad. This was like 78 when I bought it, bought it used. He would not let me, don't park that in the driveway. He didn't even want to, <laughs> you know, he wouldn't go out and look at it or anything. But, you know, I got this sense. I just, and, and you know, the other thing as I was waiting to come on the air, um, I remember that, and I don't know if it was at this particular auto show, but being fascinated with the man that had a little dustpan and a small broom, and, uh, you know, his, the pan would drop down flat and sweep up little bits and pieces. Well, of course, he was black. Huh. And I started getting a sense then, because my brother and I, we were like, oh, that's so cool. And we were kind of, and, and he was really nice. And I just recall that so vividly, how nice this gentleman was to us. And then my dad, like, Come on, let's get out. You know, he, you know, but I, and then all, and it, it, from that point on, I've, that it, it got me thinking about this tribalism yeah. between even for black and white people. And, yeah. and uh, you know, so uh, that's interesting, know, that's, Frank. I, I guess. Frank, what do you think? Is that still going on? So, so I mean, that's an interesting question, uh, Thad, and, and you would know because, uh, as you said, you, you know, you're a dealer here in Detroit. Um, is there a different culture, I guess, 
among the Detroit automakers, especially after the bankruptcies, which you know put put two of the automakers in real jeopardy and and really had the third uh, on the ropes as well. Um, is there more cooperation and a sense of them kind of being uh, being linked and their fortunes being linked? Or is there still this kind of, you know, uh, cutthroat, look, I'm a GM person, I'm a GM family. I grew up in a, in a GM family here, uh, and, and you, you could not buy another, another car in our family and park it at my grandfather's house, that was for sure. Um, that's different today, I think, and, and I, I guess that does raise the question about whether the competition between the three uh, is quite the same. Well, I think the competition competition level is extremely high still. Uh, I mean, I think that spirit is still alive with from manufacturer to manufacturer, and I think that the uh, you know the, the slightly older generation, maybe those over fifty like myself, uh, still still feel that a little stronger. And I yeah. think as you get younger, I think it's starting to get watered down a bit. You know, we have uh, we have multiple brands, which a lot of dealers didn't didn't do that back in the day. Um, you know, we have Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and then we have Ford and Toyota. And so, you know, we get to interact with all the different manufacturers, and uh, so we got a pretty good sense of it. But the but the competitive spirit is extremely high. I got to tell you, uh, from manufacturer to manufacturer, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. But I think that the younger generation, uh, on some of the conversations with, you know, don't you dare park your Chevy in this Ford family's driveway, <laughs> uh, is getting a little more a little more acceptable and a little more watered down with the younger ages. Yeah, they don't they don't have much of a frame of reference for all of that stuff. <laughs> it's still there. I mean, I hear it on a showroom. I'm really connected with people, and I'm out on a showroom an awful lot, so I, I'm pretty close to that vibe. Um, it's definitely still there, but not near as strong as it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Frank, uh, appreciate the call and uh, your memories of the show. Let's go next to Michael in Detroit. Michael, what's on your mind? Thanks for taking my call, Stephen. I was mm-hmm. good to listen in. Uh, I'm uh, concerned about the show staying in Detroit. Uh, I have memories of going to it in absolutely frigid temperatures, and uh, the rationale to moving it to September for the model year to coincide with the model year, that makes a lot of sense. But that, that's been like that forever. That's not something that's recently changed with the makers. And mm-hmm. some of the intel that I'm hearing from insiders is they want to move the show to Las Vegas. And I want to know what or find out if there's anything that's happening to keep that show in Detroit because mm-hmm. the last time we had it, a couple of the world's largest automakers didn't participate. Hmm. Uh, so, Michael, you're you're hearing that they would move the Detroit show to to Vegas. Uh, that's an interesting. It's an interesting. I have not heard that. Uh, Thad's on. We, we've always worried about the 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 show and its future and its stability. Uh, there there are other auto shows. I mean, uh, Vegas has a show and and also has uh, the, a technology show that has become heavily about autos and and the things you know our cars are now essentially rolling computers um is the show i guess under threat the way the way michael is is hearing um absolutely not and i i don't know if everybody knows this but the detroit auto show is actually owned by the detroit auto dealers how could it go somewhere else right (laughs) right i mean i i think that's a lot of a lot of things that people don't know which i think actually gives us a competitive advantage because you know, some of these manufacturers that may be shying away from car shows, but, and I think when they, when they get a viable, we've come up with this year, they're going to be, we're going to have more and more back uh, even next year. But we, we actually pulled off a whole bunch of extra manufacturers 
here for people to, you know, competitively shop that wouldn't have been here if we didn't have the dealers owning the show because we actually got a, deal, a bunch of dealers that bring in a bunch of uh, inventory, which is extremely hard to get. Mm-hmm. Some manufacturers chose not to come because they just didn't have any cars. There's no cars. Yeah. Everything's pre-sold. Um, so luckily, we leaned on our dealer network to get up to, I think we're getting pretty close to 30 brands here, uh, which in today's world is almost a miracle to pull that's off. That's a lot. And that's because, yeah. of, uh, because of our dealer network. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Michael, appreciate the call. Uh, let's go to Ann in Detroit. Ann, welcome to the show. Good morning, Stephen. Hey. I, I just wanted to share that um, my dad's um, business was Gale and Rice Talent. Mm-hmm. And um, during that time, they introduced female models to be giving um, information on the cars. <laughs> and, um, you know, wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> I remember but, that. <laughs> but the, the fun thing is um, after that, our family, there are five girls in my family, and my dad actually had our Christmas card picture with us in the hot pink mini, mini dresses they wore. Now, needless to say, we didn't look like the models, but <laughs> it was, you know, it's a fun memory. And, uh, you know, they were the ones who made it big for yeah. women to yeah. promote the, the cars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and really appreciate the call and those those memories, uh, Thad, the, you know, the, cha- the, the changes this year do remind me of how much the show has changed just over my lifetime, as I was saying, you know, in the 1980s, uh, my, my mom went and bought a car there and, and the show was really different. I mean, uh, it, it, I'm excited about the things that, that we're going to experience this year because I think it's just another step in the evolution of this, of this event. It, it, it has always changed. Yeah, I would say that, you know, our, our industry overall is in a major, major transformation right now. I think everybody would agree with that, right, from from gas motors to hybrid to electrification. Sure. Uh, all the new technologies are coming out. The way that people buy goods and services, certainly with, with vehicles uh, and the trade-in values, is, is a lot of it's taking place online. We recognize all that. So, you know, we're in the middle of that whole transition, too, and, and we just embrace the change. And we're certainly excited about I think this is such a – if you have families out there going, you know, I have a younger younger kids, and I don't know if I want to take them to the show. i got to tell you, the engagements we set up for families for this mm. show are unbelievable. The kids are going to have, if not more fun than the adults, I think it's going to be right on par <laughs> with the adults. And certainly adults get all excited to see all the new technology, all the new cars. But we have a lot of family activations. You know, we have a whole dinosaur exhibit. We have a 61-foot uh, duck out in front of Huntington Place that's six stories high. I could go on and on about some of the other family activities, but I think if you're questioning it, you're really doing yourself a disservice if you don't give it a shot. It's completely different. Nothing like you've ever experienced before. It's walkable. You can run out and go grab a bite to eat, maybe come back. And uh, I think the kids are just going to absolutely love some of the activities we set up for them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Thad Zott, uh co-chair of the auto show and president of the Detroit Auto Dealers Association. Really great to have you here to talk about the show. And uh, we'll see you at Huntington Place uh, in the next week. Stephen, thank you for having me. And I look forward to maybe grabbing you at uh, Charity Preview and saying hi. Absolutely. All, All right. right. Have a great day. Yeah. When we come back, we are going to continue talking about 
cars and the automotive industry. We'll take a look at how the automotive world is changing, how it's impacting our economy, and what the transition to electric vehicles is looking like. Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast is going to join us next. We want to continue to hear from you as well. Call and tell us what you think, not just of the auto show, but of the industry that defines our city. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. In Detroit and Michigan, we, of course, live and die by the strength of the auto industry. Many people have been really critical of this relationship, but you can't deny that it's true. Even if you don't work for the auto industry, your job in Michigan is probably tied in some way to the health of the auto industry. And that means it is really important to all of us. We often track how well the big three are doing because it matters in all of our lives. It's correlated with the funding of public and private things that make our lives possible and in many cases make our lives better. The reopening of the auto show to in-person events allows us to have a far-reaching conversation about that relationship to this industry that has defined Detroit for more than a century. And it's a good time to do so as there are a lot of big questions about that industry and its future. With the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, for instance, how quickly can Michigan switch to a majority electric vehicle market? How long before charging stations replace gas stations? What about the infrastructure for autonomous vehicles? Are we even beginning to think about all of the things that we need to do to make that possible? And how will all of these differences change the rest of our built environment? Are there significant ways that automotive companies will try to innovate and enter non-automotive markets to make things better and more accommodating to their products? There are so many questions swirling around the auto industry right now. And to help us sort through them, we've got Jamie Butters here with us. He is the executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. Jamie, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi, Hi Stephen. Good, good to hear you. Yeah, good to have you here. So let's start with this. Are, uh, you, like the rest of us, have uh, missed out on auto show for the last three years. Um, in a recent piece, you noted that this is not your grandfather's auto show. I thought it was a really interesting look at all of the things that are different. Uh, talk about those differences and what the strategic difference is in the way that this show is is put together. There was a lot of thought put into this. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like, and I talked with that as, as you just had, who you just had on the show and, mm-hmm. Um, it's really clear the show is entering really a third era, right? We had the original 
Cars on Carpets, Detroit Auto Show, kind of like a lot of other shows, but a little more juiced because it was in Detroit, the Motor City. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1989, it changed. It became the North American International Auto Show. Toyota came to Detroit to introduce Lexus. Nissan came to launch Infiniti. It really put the show on the map as a global, uh, you know, confab as a place where everybody who was anybody in the industry would want to get to and be able to see each other's work and see each other in person, uh, a whole, you know, sort of community, global community that really built up around shows, Detroit especially, but other major shows around the world, Frankfurt and Paris, New York, LA, Tokyo, Geneva, later uh, Beijing and Shanghai. And then, um, in the more recent years, about the last half decade or so, automakers have really started rethinking the value of participating in those shows, the cost that goes into them, and the value they get back out of them. I think a lot of the modern marketing metrics count against it, in part because they don't really include the value of those other connective tissues mm-hmm. that these shows provide to the industry, to the global automotive community. But they were really expensive, and if you do them separately, I mean, we saw just last week, right, uh, GM unveiled the electric Equinox. They did it on a morning TV show yeah, because they could. it was cheaper and they could reach more people. So it's kind of the, the way cars get introduced has changed, the way these shows run. So now we're seeing, just like here in Detroit, this pivot back toward regional shows, uh, trying to really get people excited about vehicles in their local market, you know, especially put on, when they're put on by a dealer association, uh, trying to get people excited. What's out there? What is the new technology? How do we learn about it? Uh, try to get people familiarized. And and that's the new era. You know, that old era that I grew up covering uh, is is pretty much gone. You mm. know, CES in Las Vegas, the former consumer electronics show, yeah. is kind of the really the biggest international automotive show left. Yeah. You know, I was talking about that with Thad, that, that you've got these other shows out there now, including CES, which is at least nominally about technology and, and uh, innovation, but has become heavy auto because the cars that we drive are so dependent now uh, on technology. I wonder, though, if... We had a caller who who wondered about the the stability of this show and the future of it. Is there a need to even do this, even even in Detroit, where the auto, uh, you know, the the domestic auto industry is still headquartered? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, need is an interesting <laughs> element. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of a lot of vehicle purchases, right, are not really driven by need right uh, a lot of them especially new cars are sold uh, for for want uh, for people expressing uh, themselves and trying to reach some sort of uh, consumer fulfillment uh, but you know there's I think there's honestly in a lot of ways I think there's a bigger need uh, for education around EVs around charging maybe even hydrogen is that if that ever becomes a bigger part of the market there's so much technology changing. I feel like there's a, a huge need for people for there to be an education component, uh, and and it clearly works for dealers. I mean, do we need it right now? Because when there's very little inventory, uh, Honda, you know, has basically stopped going to shows even with their local dealer groups because they don't have inventory on the lots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't even they don't want to you know get people excited to go to the Honda store when they can't sell them anything. They barely can make enough vehicles to sell to their returning customers. 
So there's a little bit of a question in the short term, but you know, it's going to be a competitive market and, uh, you know, whether even in a place like Detroit, where a lot of people have family ties to one brand or another, one company or another, it, people still like to see each other's cars. I think they'll get good attendance, you know, maybe not, not record setting. It's, mm-hmm. uh, we'll see what it's like in September against football season and a full school schedule. Sure. But, uh, you know, we'll see if, uh, if enough people show up. It could be, you know, very, very fruitful. They're just trying to do, as Fed, I'm sure, told you, they're they're trying to make a lot of fun things to make it uh, exciting for people to just hang out and and be in Detroit and and celebrate, you know, this industry that means so much to our community. Sort of like, you know, like the Woodward Dream Cruise does, looking backward. Maybe mm-hmm. the the Detroit Auto Show tries to do, uh, looking forward. So, so you've been at the show, of course, this week, and. Um Tell us about these new these new features these these things you can actually go do. Some of them inside, some of them outside at the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't experienced all of them yet, but um, you know they've got some really pretty elaborate um, drive events indoors uh, for the Bronco and the uh, uh, Jeep. As they call it, Jeep Mountain, or it's a Bronco Mountain and Camp Jeep, I think, are the names. But <laughs> um, you know, really steep climbs. They get very high. They descend at really sharp angles uh, that would make a normal person uncomfortable. <laughs> My uh, podcast colleague Kellen uh, Walker went on the Camp Jeep ride yesterday, and he said the the down. You know, you go up at a forty degree angle, and he said coming down, if you're not wearing your seatbelt, you're going to be smashed against the <laughs> against the dash wow. because you're just dropped, you're just hanging there. So, you know, very impressive, you know, really, you know, it's like an amusement stuff. park ride or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really, it looks like, it looks like a roller coaster, <laughs> but of course the human is driving it and keeping it on the track. So that's always a little exciting. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of us have been taking photos, uh, with the giant, uh, giant ducky down by the river. Uh, that is. Uh, did did you guys talk about that already with Thad? No. It's a part of a Jeep culture thing. There's the Jeep wave. Whenever people ride driving Jeeps, see each other, they give a little wave, the especially if they're in a, yes. a Wrangler. <laughs> yeah. And now they've got these ducks, and you get these ducks, and then if you see somebody's Jeep and you think it's cool, you leave it for them, and it's sort of a little Jeep game. And then to celebrate that, they yeah brought in the world's largest inflatable duck. And uh, put it put it down by the river. I thought it was going to be in the river. I was a little sad about that, but it's right there by uh, right out in front of Huntington Place, and uh, you know you can't miss it. And it, it does, you know, in a in a selfie culture, it is a great little icon to or a great big icon <laughs> to take a picture with. <laughs> I'm talking with Jamie Butters. He is the executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. We're talking about Auto Show, which is in its industry and media days right now. Charity preview is tomorrow, and then the show will open to the public on Saturday morning at Huntington Place, formerly Cobo Hall. Uh, It is the first time in three years that we've had auto show in person uh, on this kind of scale, Uh, but of course it is something that we've had for decades, more than a century, in fact, here in uh, Detroit. Uh, we want to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you make of the auto show? What do you make of the changes that the automotive industry is undergoing right now? All of the focus on EV and hybrid cars that are coming onto the market. What do you make of the government policy shifts 
that are encouraging uh, electric vehicles and things that are not reliant on fossil fuels. Uh, also, uh, give us a sense if you think uh, this is all uh, a great time, really, for the automotive industry, that all of these changes, all of this uh, new technology and the things that cars are capable of doing or right on the cusp of being capable of doing is uh, a great thing for uh, for um, the auto industry, which, of course, we really, really still depend on here uh, in Detroit. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue with Jamie Butters, and we will get to your calls. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Our guest right now is Jamie Butters. He's executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. We're talking about the return of Auto Show here in Detroit, uh, underway right now in industry and media days, and then open to the public this weekend. want to hear from you about your excitement about Auto Show and its return, but also about the industry that defines us here in Detroit and all of the changes that it is undergoing. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Jamie, before we get to listeners, I want to talk to you about two things. One is this shift uh, to electric, which is not new. Every few months, it seems it's more intensified, though, by either uh, a policy change at the government level or by an announcement uh, by a, a manufacturer who says, hey, we're going to take this even further than we did before. But the other thing I want to talk about, and I think it's related, uh, is is the cost of vehicles, especially new vehicles. Uh, I, I feel like for, for many, many people and for most families especially, the cost of a new car is quickly becoming a little out of reach. And Maybe that's uh, maybe that's okay because there are so many used cars that are available on the market, but it does seem like it's something worth pausing to stop and and think about. So first of all, let's talk about electrics, but but then let's talk about cost and whether those two things are related. Oh, they're well, they're absolutely related uh, because uh, there's a phenomenon known as supply and demand, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and there's. A really, you know, a profound undersupply of all new vehicles, whether they're gas burning or electric right mm-hmm. now. Uh, so prices are are high. Uh, you know, the the automakers are raising prices, the dealers are raising prices. You know, we have dealers adding on to the price, sometimes not even telling their customers 
until they show up to pick up the vehicle they've waited five months for, and then it's like, oh, well, it's going to cost you an extra five, ten, twenty thousand dollars, and if you don't want to pay it, that's fine. I'll sell it to somebody else for that, you know. And it's you know been very rough on the consumer. That said, you know, consumers are kind of flush with cash. Um, you know, COVID. A lot of people saved a lot of money during COVID for one reason or another, but they found they still really needed a car, uh, either to you know, for a, very, a whole variety of reasons. But you know, like a, a big one to me was for a long, for a good year and a half there, a lot of people didn't want to be flying. Hmm. It wasn't, it didn't feel safe to fly. But people got a little stir crazy in their homes. You want to get out and about, you want to go around, the best way is just put your little pod in a car and you can travel pretty <laughs> safely. And then people, they had a little extra cash, so yeah, let's buy a car. And people were buying nicer cars, more expensive, adding on all the features. The few cars the automakers could make, you know, they adjusted to that. They're like, yeah, let's add all the features. Let's make everything the top trim. Um, and so prices have been going up all across the board. But underlying that, you are absolutely right. I mean, electric vehicles, they cost more to make, and the automakers want to recoup those costs. They're kind of following Tesla's strategy, which is start with more expensive vehicles to try to cover that extra five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, I think even twenty on some of the large uh, vehicles, $20,000 extra cost for the battery, and then until you can improve the technology, gain more scale, bring the cost down and move down the cost curve like Toyota went from or Tesla went from the Model S and X to the Y and 3, still pretty pricey vehicles but about half the cost of the the previous generation larger vehicles. We're starting to see that move along in the EV market too with, you know, the new Jeeps uh, that they just showed, the Equinox EV is going to, could be a very big deal mm-hmm. in the market, but it just depends. You know, how many can they make? How many can they afford to make? If they're are they even breaking even on those vehicles? Um, it's still very early in the evolution of EV technology. Yeah. I, so I, I also wonder about the hybrid option, which for me as a potential. EV customer, and I go back and forth about it all the time and think about, okay, well, I have to do this to, to make sure that I had a, a charging station at my house and, and things like that. I, I would be much quicker to, to say, oh, well, I'll buy a car that runs partially on electric and that I can put gas in every once in a while. In fact, in our family, we have one of those cars. Why, why, aren't, they, why aren't they focusing more on those, which seem more accessible and are easier to use given the, the, the infrastructure delay that, that we've got with, with electrification? Uh, that's an excellent question, and you are a very uh, rational person for making the choice <laughs> that you made. Um, you know, the thing is hybrid technology uh, provides a lot of fuel. Say, it, I mean, it, and not all hybrids are the same. You can focus the electric power on more horsepower, mm-hmm. on, you know, greater, you know, zero to 60 speeds. A lot of them are also you can focus them more on the fuel economy and trying to, you know, not every hybrid gets the 50 miles per gallon that a Prius does, but they all get much better mileage than they do if they're just run on gas. Um, The technology is affordable. It saves a lot of fuel. It takes a lot of carbon out of the air, but uh, the, I think there's, there's a bit of a fever, a bit of a Tesla fever uh, in Hmm. both the markets and in the regulatory world. Uh, you know, the 
investors have pumped up Tesla to be worth more than, you know, Toyota, Ford, GM, and Volkswagen combined, even though they all make, you know, more money. They will all make more money this year than Tesla has made in its entire history, right? right? So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, but they're betting on the future and there's just, a, there's a lot of excitement, right? And so then, you know, investors are all looking for the next Tesla when automakers announce big ambitious plans to invest, you know, tens of billions of dollars in electric vehicles without really much promise of a profit return on it. Right. It's a, it's a risky bet, but when they make those announcements, the stock price goes up and they, um, you know, they're rewarded for it and they People get the, excited. the investors yeah. like it and regulators love the idea of saying we're going to have zero emission vehicles, you know, by 2030 or 2025. And if we just declare it to be so, it will be so. But the the cost is a real challenge. The infrastructure is a challenge. All of that, and uh, you know, Toyota, Akio Toyota, has been probably the biggest proponent of saying the best solution for this decade is hybrids until we can figure out solid state batteries and improve EV technology. But the markets and the regulators are really, really excited for all pure EVs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Francis on the west side of Detroit. Francis, welcome to the show. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Sure. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess it's uh, the question is, in the long run, uh, will it be the most environmentally sound thing? Uh, I want to breathe clean air as much as anybody, but I was... I was analyzing the uh, cash for clunkers program that happened, if you remember it, and it mm-hmm. was sold to us to get old, uh, less fuel-efficient vehicles off the road in order to trade up for a more efficient model, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of the day, I don't know if it was so. I mean, a lot of I think the best thing that you can do is use something, and this goes for cars as well. It goes for putting patches on the pair of pants I'm wearing right now. Um, I think using something for the longest possible amount of time instead of sending it to the landfill and always replacing it with, with free things, uh, you know, new things, It's uh, I think that's the way to go. I mean, I still drive a 94 Dodge van. Do you really? It's, uh, <laughs> it's maybe doesn't get the most MPG out of anything, <laughs> but I'm holding on to it until... Uh, you know, as long as I can. And, and, and until I know that the source of the electricity that we're charging these vehicles with is coming from a clean source, hmm. I think I'll keep my old Dodge on the road. Huh. Uh, you know, that's a really interesting perspective, Francis. And I am super impressed that you are driving a uh, 94 Dodge that you've somehow managed to, to, to keep running for, for that many years. Uh, Jamie, it strikes me that he is the... Uh, least ideal customer perhaps for uh, Detroit <laughs> automakers but he's making a good point about apprehension about whether these things make a difference and uh, and whether we really are saving the environment by moving to electric yeah i mean francis makes a really good point in that it's it's a very complex equation you know it's not just how many gallons of gas or how many you know, lumps of coal, you know, get consumed to propel the vehicle per mile. There's the manufacturing cost. There's the the end-of-life cost. Um, And there's a lot of value to, I've done the math, but I mean, there's a lot of value to the environment, of course, in not scrapping vehicles pointlessly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they also are somewhat recyclable. 
but I mean, he just he draws out right. Not every and as you said, not everybody in the economy is the same consumer. Sure. <laughs> Some people love to have you know insist on having a new car every two or three years and can afford that. Um, a lot of other people are more frugal and they make their cars last as long as possible. And you know that all is part of it. Uh, no, no, no single consumer is responsible for you know fixing or or ruining the economy yeah. and, uh, and and the environment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Francis, really appreciate the call uh, and the the point you're making. If I could jump in on yeah. one more thing, you Go know, ahead. we uh, talk a lot. A lot of people talk about the statistic, you know, that the average vehicle on the road is 12 years old now, and mm. they make and they it gets in people's mindsets. I think that vehicles last 12 years, but they mm. don't. They last 25 or 30 years if people take care of them. That's, I mean, the 12 miles, 12, 12 years really means, you know, more than half of the vehicles are more than 12 years old. There are a lot of cars from 2000 and even before still on the road, and they'll be kicking around for a while. And even if we went to all EVs tomorrow, it will be decades before we don't have gas cars on the road. Before people want to get rid of uh, their old gas vehicles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's go next to Harry in Sterling Heights. Harry, welcome to the show. You there, Harry? Oh, Harry hung up. Okay, uh, uh, Jamie, uh, talk to me about design of the cars and how the electrification issue affects those designs. It does seem like uh, we're seeing... Some cooler designs, maybe with the coming along with EV. Is that is that intentional or is that just a side effect? Well, I think it it kind of cuts both ways. Um, there's a, there's sometimes there's the trend towards such hyper efficiency and streamline shapes that they can all start to look the same. I think there's there's a whole wave of you know really excellent and interesting crossovers. You know, electric crossovers, the VW ID4, the Mustang Mach E, the Hyundai Ionic 5, and so on and so on. Um, and they all kind of look <laughs> look the same. <laughs> but but the idea that overall, yeah, design designers have a lot more leeway. The new, most EVs are on a what's called a skateboard platform. Mm-hmm. And so all the batteries are kind of across there. They make up the floor of the car. It makes it really, you know, rigid. It puts all the center of gravity really low. And then it gives them total freedom above that for how they want to design it's really then it's about safety comfort entertainment as opposed to you know designing a traditional uh you know four-cylinder engine vehicle it's going to the engine's going to be up there and you have to account for that weight you have to give plenty of room for the human body behind it in case it's in an accident and all that so there's a lot more freedom for a uh, for a lot more creative design with evs and and i do think we'll see more of that over time yeah Okay, uh, Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. Uh, great to have you here. Um, maybe I'll see you down at uh, Huntington Place at the show over the next week. You bet. Thanks, Stephen. Anytime. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we are going to talk with Congressman Ro Khanna about his new book, Dignity in a Digital Age, and how the Silicon Valley representative believes we can more fairly include blue-collar workers in our changing economy. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.